Hey nerdlings, this is Sarah Ashley. If I may interrupt your podcast listening for just a minute, I would really like to talk to you guys about Nerdonomy.com. That's our website. If you guys haven't been to it already, you should really go check it out. We have a page where you can just meet the nerds. We have a blog where we have all of our original content that we write when we're not recording. And we also have listener feedback. So if you guys really want to go ahead and talk to us, see what we have to offer, or even maybe make a nice healthy donation at our merch station, then you can please do so at Nerdonomy.com. All right, and now enjoy your podcast. You're listening to Nerds on Film with Sarah Ashley, Kevin Satorius, Brian Moriarty, and Sean Moriarty. To let's say you were a producer and you were being asked by a studio to remake a major motion picture classic. Whatever one you want. Which one would it be, and how would you do it? What kind of classic? Like, any kind of classic? Just one that we would call classic? One that is genuinely considered a a film that is over 20 years old, that has stood the test of time, and will continue to. Is Poltergeist... Yeah, is, that, is Poltergeist over 20 years old? Yeah, I think it's more like 30 years old. Okay. I don't think it's 30, but it's it's definitely over... Okay. Okay, so like, so if it's over 20 years old, keep in mind, that means anything that was made before 1993. Oh, God, I'm old. So I think Poltergeist qualifies. Yeah, yeah, we're yes. good. Okay, yeah, Poltergeist. I'd remake that. Okay, how? What would you do? Because uh, let's say, cause you're a producer, you have control over getting right. the director, writer, all that stuff. Okay. Um, I would probably try to get the same production team as with The Conjuring. Mm, and okay. um, and Insidious, I'd probably try to go with them. Um, I'd want a darker twist. I would want better special effects because that's kind of the problem. I was rewatching that movie recently, um, and and so I think actually the the special effects really took away from it being scary. So I would actually probably have them tone it down a little bit um, on the special effects. And I mean, casting, I haven't really thought much about that, but I do think that that would be a good movie to remake because it's a good story, but the movie itself just comes across cheesy now. Sean? It's funny that Sarah mentioned special effects because the two movies that I would remake were because of the special effects, too. One would be Jaws, and the other one would be Ghostbusters. So two things would need to happen. Either A, we need to really nail it on doing something different and making the special effects better, or B, I'm all for a Lucas-style special edition where they just redo the special effects digitally. <laughs> uh, they could do okay. that with Jaws and you, I I'm wouldn't sorry. have a problem with it. So you want to remake Ghostbusters? I want the, so... the special effects in Ghostbusters to be better because that's the biggest problem I have showing younger people that movie is they're like, yeah, it's hilarious, okay. but then like the, you know, the special effects really just take me out of it because they're so old and terrible. But I, I feel like the special effects are so not important to it. I feel like the comedy is the more important aspect of that movie. And what special effects it are you wanting to change about Jaws. I mean, the shark looks. The shark didn't work most of the movie shoot. <laughs> well, yeah, but it, I know, but it, the shark does look it like shit. Looks I mean, we're a generation that watches Shark Week every year. We know what great white sharks look like, and that fucking thing does not look like a great white shark. Yeah, I think it probably would have. If they were to remake both those movies, it would have to be a really good combination of practical and computer effects. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because if you go the Lucas route, everything like the boat would be CGI'd. The what? The fisherman. The fisherman. Actually, Richard Dreyfuss. Richard Dreyfuss would be CGI. Yeah, would be CGI. 
Yeah, and then they put Hayden Christensen in toward the very end. I fuck you. How dare you? <laughs> I would as the shark. I would totally like to add something here. We said which movie would we like to remake? Like which one would you want to do yourself? That's what I'm thinking. Like if I was going to be part of a remake, I'd want to be on the Ghostbusters or the Jaws remake because those are on my like top. There three. you go. Okay, that's a that's a good. That's like a if anybody else wanted to remake them, I would I would fucking lose my shit on the internet at length. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you, sir, madam? Dave, what would you do? You know what I would want to do is I would want to bring 12 Angry Men back to the screen. Because I do mm. love the Henry Fonda version. And I feel like uh, it's a great story, right? It's about basically just one guy like trying to systematically change everybody's mind uh, and really look at the facts. And I think it's a, it could be a really interesting movie to remake. Now, who would I have in it? I, I have no idea. I don't know who I would recast in it. Who would you get to redirect it? I know who you put in it. Jaws Wheaton. Who would I put in No, it? you do it with the cast of This Is The End. You put, like, Craig Robinson, Seth Rogen, and the rest of those fuckers. Keep naming Morgan, people. And Morgan Freeman, just because. Yeah, Morgan Freeman's going to play the, the Henry Fonda part. Yeah. Well, Morgan yeah. Freeman. Yeah. Anthony into- Hopkins. Abigail Breslin. Uh, Taylor Lautner. <laughs> Uh, Helen Mirren, uh, Bruce Willis, By the way, I Sylvester saw a photo Stallone, today. Arnold Schwarzenegger, the 80s action trifecta. I saw a photo today of Helen Mirren when she was like 26. Dude, she was high. Fucking A. I don't she know why. God. There's- you are talking about, she's hot right now. I have a Helen Mirren No, she's Mirren hot now, fetish. but she was, my God, <laughs> she was a fucking Apparently, babe. Sean, you are not the only one. I know a few people who have a mm. current Helen mm. Mirren fetish. Oh, my God. I, no, yeah, Sean, you're not alone in, the, in this in this show right now. I would bang the fuck out of Helen Mirren right now. As if you want to see some you. good... <laughs> if anybody's wondering what that would be like, uh, go see the movie Shadow Boxer. <laughs> <laughs> or you can watch Caligula. Uh, you know what I'm about, right? She's in Caligula. There is like a pretty. There's like a pretty intense sex scene between Cuba Gooding Jr. Jr. and her. Really? Cuba? Serious? Yes. Seriously. <gasps> wow. I think. I'm, can I just find that clip? Is this gonna be like that? Uh, the Devil Within or the Devil's Son Willem Dafoe movie that we saw? There was like actual no, 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 it's not okay. that bad. Uh, uh, Willem Dafoe's balls. Uh, anyways, <laughs> side tangent aside. Um, yeah, I think I think Sean actually is onto something. Making it into like a pseudo comedy would be a, a really interesting reboot of that story. Yeah, it would be an interesting take. For me, I've always wanted to, and it would be totally sacrilegious if I did. It would be Casablanca. <gasps> what? You okay. tread carefully here. Here's the deal. Let's admit that the best part of Casablanca was the script. Yes. So if you don't touch that script, I could see some Whoa. good potential here. Whoa. But still, what? I know. Just I'm, the script? Then you- I'm just saying... Then you're just Gus Van Sant. You're making like a almost a shot for shot remake. Oh, yeah, I guess you don't have to do shot for no, shot. No, I wouldn't if do it's that. Just the script, right? I would update Not the script. Really. No. no, I would leave the story intact. I would leave most of the dialogue intact, but I would probably set it contemporarily. What? Fuck you. What? what? No. How is that possible? See, now I have the same idea. Only I wanted to do it with the the hamsters from those Kia commercials. <laughs> You know, the giant anthropomorphized hamster. Hey, they lost weight, and now they wear really tight-fitting suits. No, that's they what I'm do, saying. They yeah. can do it now. They couldn't do it before, but now that they've lost the weight... Yeah, because fat people can't be in Casablanca. <laughs> is that right, Eric? Huh? You fucking fattest. I'm just saying... Those, that, there, there were no fat people in that movie, but still. The table with my fist. Okay, so... <clears throat> well, why would you why would you set it contemporarily? I would play around with the idea of doing it. Oh... Fuck that set you, in the future. You, Sarah. Casablanca 2025. I said don't touch the script. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, 
Okay, so Casablanca in space. With the lunar space. Why would you say? Why would you change it? Like the the movie is is just it's perfect the way that it is. I'm telling you, there is some. I saw it for the first time this year. For the first time, yeah, I know. Saw it at the Stanford Theater, right? Yeah. I went, and that movie made me cry. Yeah, it's a great movie. So, what would you change about it? Now, now, now you got me all flustered. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, uh, it's true. Dave is a very particular uh, shade of red right it's now. That's because I'm and, wearing a very... Okay, can I also say, why are you mad at me? I said, don't touch, don't touch the script. The script has the setting, and the setting is. 1940s. But you would so. take away Bogey, and you would take away Sam. No, okay, so we... Sam's so guys, so character. We recast everybody but Bogart. We got either A, hologram Bogart like Tupac, or B, CGI Bogart. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like oh, CGI okay, young Arnold like, from Terminator Like Salvation. the Macy commercials where they like put the, uh, the CGI Chris Kringle of the Miracle on 34th Street. Yeah, there you go. <clears throat> I'm down. Although it would be really awesome to see a, a Tupac hologrammed... <laughs> Humphrey Bogart on set. Uh, just yeah, just, just pump say. a fog so, machine in there and project Humphrey Bogart into the fog. <laughs> <laughs> he always appears from the fog. That would you be just good. Walk. You can make it like a science fiction film. I like that. Because okay, so maybe this is just because I'm coming from from a theater background. But to me, remaking uh, a classic is not sacrosanct to me. Like, why redo Hamlet? Because like Hamlet is super interpretive, but you can even do a modern version of it <clears throat> with. Uh, and to be fair, didn't they do a modern version of Casablanca with like a snow movie that came Out Cold? Isn't Out Cold like if someone told me that the movie Out Cold, which was made like in the early two thousands, is a not a shot for shot, but the that plot is a load is, of bullshit. <laughs> maybe maybe in the amount in the sense that it was the relationship of that character of those two main. I've characters. never seen the movie, so I can't really but debate it's, much further. It, it is a that is a stretch at well, best. I mean, okay, so yes. <clears throat> It is fair that, okay, yes, you can do remakes, say, of something Shakespearean, change the setting, whatever. But there's a difference between doing, like, steampunk Hamlet and doing Space Ablanca. So... Well, I'm not, I'm not, I would not do Space Ablanca. <laughs> okay. That's I would sure. do Space Ablanca with the hamsters from the Kia commercials. Okay. Thank you, Eric. <laughs> okay, fine. So if, if you're going to use the term perfect, then, then you're right. There's no way you can touch it. But I'm just trying think, to be. I'm just trying I'm not to be sure any film is perfect, and I mean that very objectively. I'm not sure any one film is perfect. I'm sure that there's something that could be done differently that adds an, a nuance to it that we hadn't considered before. Will people actually accept it? Probably not, because a lot of people can or cling to what they they know and they cling to what they know very dearly. And but, listeners, you can write Brian at Brian at Nerdonomy.com. Bring it on! Bring it on! I, I oh I, shit, he's throwing the gauntlet down. Yeah, oh, I'll, I'll defend it. I'll defend. I'll take shit for it too. I, I will. You hear that? That was the mic being dropped. Sean? I would like to counter with, fuck you, Brian, Turbo, colon, a Power Rangers movie is perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead. I'm going to go with a sci-fi movie. Okay. 2001, The Space Odyssey. Oh. But the way I would do it is I would do the entire series, all the Arthur C. Clarke books, but I'd do them like Arthur C. Clarke wrote them, not like Stanley Kubrick interpreted his first couple drafts of 2001 and then Arthur C. Clarke got pissed off and wrote the book the way he wanted to. Question. Would IBM be as prevalent in your movies as it was in 2001 Space Odyssey? Um, perhaps not. I think he would probably use a Hewlett Packard, uh, quite frankly. Oh, okay. Or a Dell. Or a Dell. You know what else would be interesting to be remade? Dances with Wolves. Yeah. 
I would actually completely agree with that. Uh, with basically anybody other than Kevin Costner, because he's basically cardboard in that movie. <laughs> um, guys, I hate to burst your bubble, but uh, Dances with Wolves was already remade as a movie called Avatar, directed and written by James Cameron and starring Sam Worthington. Thank you, Alan. <laughs> Alan, that's surprisingly mainstream for you. I occasionally will watch mainstream movies just to see what I'm not missing. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Well done. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about that. How could we read how would we redo Dance with the Wolves? Can I throw in there real quick? For one, can we please have all of the American Indians speaking in either the the female or male yeah. dialect? <laughs> yeah. Not all female, because apparently the the person that they tap to teach them all how to speak um, Lakota uh, Lakota is, is is all from the effeminate perspective, and all the masculine words are missing, and everything else uh, it sounds as if they were all talking like women. And those who actually know the language, I'm not one of them, but I understand that there are people who do. Went and saw it, and were laughing hysterically when they were all talking like ladies. Actually, in my off time, I like to uh, study Lakota. It's what helps me get to sleep. <laughs> Uh, well, Alan seems to have a thing for me. Uh, well, so, okay. So, you would do, you would obviously have more accurate research done into yeah. Yeah. into the film, and that's no shock knowing you. <laughs> what? You want more research accuracy. into a movie? Eric, <laughs> you get out of here. For shame. <laughs> with those witchcraft ideas. Okay, well, let me ask you this. Who would you have direct, and who would you have star? Of Dances with Wolves? Yeah, of the supposed remake. Okay, I know it's Aronofsky. I want an epic. I want oh, wow. epic level dances with wolves. <laughs> wow. Well, we'll see how he does with period pieces with this movie Noah. Yeah, so. right? <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting. Uh, like Aronofsky would be an interesting choice, though. It would, because he could bring a, a element of surrealism to it, too. Well, and I also kind of imagine, like, a little bit more, because, you know, there's that, like, communication, that mental communication between, uh, you know, Costner and the wolf. Almost like some picturing some kind of, like, actual, like, spirit animal shit going down Aronofsky style. <laughs> Very much like Tree of Life. <laughs> yeah, uh, Terrence so Malick. <coughs> Terrence Malick should do it. Oh, my oh God. God, no. Why? <laughs> Why? 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 So for the first 15 minutes of the movie, there's just going to be nothing but shots of just wind on grass. <laughs> And upside down, that's going to rotate into the into the, the shot, and editing that makes no sense. Or someone's going to like smoke a peyote peace pipe, and like all the smoke is going to come out, and we're just going to focus as the smoke drifts off into the ether. And it's going to be the smoke coming off a volcano. And now we're back into like 4,000 BC. We're going to follow this fucking tribe from the dawn of time. <laughs> oh my oh, god! God, I'm oh. sorry. I, just, I don't care for Terrence. As a star, I think probably really you know who'd be good. And I know this is probably a little too mainstream. Alan would be for shaming me. Gosling. Oh, right. As Kevin Costner's character? Yeah. I yeah, think... I could see that. I, I could totally think... see that, yeah. Real quick, backtracking to directors. What about the Wes Anderson version <laughs> of Dance with the Wolves? <laughs> wolves. You know what I would love to see? <laughs> is, I would love for comedy. <laughs> if we have any like filmmaker like listeners who have like the the accessibility to do something, it would be great. If they did, because like if anyone saw an SNL sketch that happened a few weeks ago, oh, they I did, did a Wes David. Anderson horror movie. That, that was so good, right? So if someone could like, if if you have access to a camera and you have time to kill, like send us a Wes Anderson version of Dances with Wolves, and we will totally put it on the website because that would just be amazeballs. <laughs> All these like just what would it shots be called, just, like, Super far away, and then boom. 
tango shuffling with the in the presence of wolves. And, 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 and it would always have the cast of characters in the beginning, us just them just standing in front of the, ca- the camera with their, their yeah. character name underneath. And Alec Baldwin will have to narrate. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. As if he's reading it from a book. Chapter two. Uh, on that note, folks, <laughs> welcome to Nerds on Film. I'm Brian Moriarty. I'm Sarah Ashley. I'm Sean Moriarty. First off, let's welcome back a person who has long been vacant in this chair, Mr. Dave McGuire. Hi, everyone. Oh, what the fuck are Woo! you doing here? <laughs> I, they, they asked me, and I said, yeah. I, actually, no, that, that's not true. I said, hey, can I? And everyone said, eh, whatever. There was no resounding, yes, please. It was more like, sure, fine. <laughs> um, and with, the, with me to my left, the man, the myth, the legend, my Nerds in History co-host, truly I can say this, the one, the only, Eric Brickmont. Wow. Thank you. <laughs> and with me to my left is the wall. <laughs> and to my left, I have um, a TV that doesn't work and a shelf full of stuff. <laughs> and me, you piece of shit. <laughs> I'm going to write left. <laughs> Although, I'm Brian, I have to say, I loved how you a sound effect there, which will be a, a crowd punch. cheering and then being gunned down by the government. <laughs> <laughs> the one, the only, Eric Brickmont. Awesome. <laughs> Folks, uh, we are having a little, another, our, our second annual Nerds Giving. So we had a fun little. Minus Sutorius. Minus Sutorius, he couldn't be here tonight. Um, we By the way, killed him. Yeah. Fucking Kevin is at the Kendall Jackson Winery right now, and I posted on his Facebook generic restaurant table wine is not greater than Nerds on Film Recording. <laughs> <laughs> Truth. I guess we can see who will not be our sponsor in the future. (laughs) Except we do love Menage a Trois. He means the wine. It's a good wine. The real thing is not fun. Yes, he means the wine. Absolutely. Uh, Brian, put your pants back on. Uh, Anyway. Devil's three way. Uh, Can I leave now? No. No. The doors are locked. (laughs) Can I just say that your guys' 1995 episode was stupid? Why, thank you, sir. Very good. And I will say, uh, I will appreciate the fact that Sarah said uh, brought up the Heat reference. I am, like, hardcore Heat fan. Anytime it's on, I have to watch it. The movie's fantastic. Did, uh, did you enjoy all of the different names for my asshole in prison that we could come up with with 1995 movie titles? <laughs> I... <laughs> I texted Sarah almost immediately afterwards because she said, waiting to exhale, I lost my shit so much listening to that. Because it was such good timing to be like, this is what I named my asshole, waiting to exhale. It was like a really fucked up version of Jeopardy. (laughs) Ding, what is waiting to exhale? Ding, all right, great. $500. I wish I got $500 for that joke. No, that was... The various names for your asshole was... was I, I don't even remember half of them. Bushwhacked was my favorite one. <laughs> no, I and had to money say... Train. Bush, <laughs> money Train. Okay, Bushwhacked, horrible movie, but I watched that thing repeatedly when it came out. <laughs> that movie with Daniel Stern, he's like a grifter or whatever. God. And he ends up having to lead a bunch of boys. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of creepy uh, when you think about it. He doesn't rape them, Brian. 
No, but that movie couldn't be made today. It was like, wow, a stranger danger. <laughs> Hello. Um, and what else happened between wow. the 1995 episode and now was something pretty epic. The end of the world. Pretty spectacular. Doctor Who. Well, there was that. But um, more importantly than the 50th anniversary of Doctor Sarah's Who. Sarah's birthday. Yeah, oh, yeah. Right. Sarah, yay. Are you uh, yep, I... 34 <laughs> or 35 this year? Fuck your face. <laughs> um, I turned 27. And, yeah. Uh, are you 27? Yeah. I think we were 26. No, 27. Okay. What? That was weird. <laughs> what? <laughs> the look on Brian's face is just like, oh. I'm going to have well, to update my little notebook. <laughs> <laughs> um, had a pretty awesome birthday. Had uh, grand old karaoke times, and all the nerds that are in California did make it out, and I was very pleased to have you guys join. Including my wife and unborn child. Yes, that's right. They did attend as well. Um, which means we're just going to have to hold resentment to your other children who did not show up. Yeah, Folks, what the hell? <laughs> if you have a friend who likes to do karaoke, don't ask them, I will sing, don't tell them I will sing whatever song you want because that can come back and bite you in the ass. Yeah. Sarah asked me to sing Hey Mickey and people, we actually ended up doing it together. It was a I ended up doing most of it because you didn't know the words and you like didn't even know how the verses went. So I was it's like, I'll true. take care of it. And <laughs> Brian, I did hit all the high notes. That's the easiest fucking yeah. song in the world. Well, the chorus is easy, but not the not the verses. I mean, I was able to the follow on screen, on screen, screen, just Brian. like I don't know, I didn't know how the melody went. It's okay. I took care of it. It was fine, and everybody had a grand old time. I unintentionally started singing "Open Arms" by Journey when really I wanted to do. Yeah, I thought you with were "Arms Wide Open" by Creed because the other because there was a woman who did Evanescence, mm-hmm. and I was like, I don't want her to be alone in shitty pop '90s music, so I'll go try to find <laughs> Creed because that, that's a vocal range. And then when I said that, the guy who was a very surly Bill surly is ext- the, the KJ Bill is very very surly, but that guy belongs on the Voice because he's short, mean, and kind of ugly, but sings like an angel. And he's got an amazing singing voice. Yeah. He does, Bill. If you're listening, <laughs> Bill, why would you be listening? <laughs> Why wouldn't he be listening? That's that would a listener. Be weird. That'd be weird. Can I talk about the awesome birthday present I got, though? Sure. So, somebody who happens to know me fairly well knows that I like Doctor Who and the Sharks and the Beatles and rubber duckies. And so, they had a custom-made rubber ducky that is dressed like Matt Smith, Doctor Who, wearing a Sharks jersey <laughs> with John Lennon glasses. <laughs> It's amazing. It's a Are you Dr. Lenny Sharks ducky. No, I'm not kidding you at all. <laughs> well, Sarah, I, I got you the greatest birthday present that you didn't even realize that I gave you because I actually traveled back in time and made Doctor Who happen Oh, when it did so that its 50th anniversary would coincide with the 27th year of your existence. Well, you know... Eric, if you listen to our time travel episode, that's a <laughs> fucking paradox and you know it. <laughs> it's okay. It's timey-wimey. <laughs> I can make it work. Yep, yep. Wibby, wibbly wobbly, timey wimey mess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Eric. That was extremely sweet of you. Oh, you're welcome. The I'm duck not... is still pretty rad, though. It is. And I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to undermine the duck. means nothing. <laughs> I'm just saying, I did travel through time for you. Okay. Yeah, well, Thank I you. bought you a drink. You did. Thanks, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Most thoughtless gift ever. <laughs> so, anyway. <laughs> um, well, happy birthday, belated. Happy Thanks. belated birthday. To indeed. be fair, I did want to put something on to the social media but I didn't know how you felt about that so I refrained no you can always brag about me on social media that's fine wow (laughs) guys I don't know about you but my face just got pushed up against the wall because of Thayer's ego (laughs) 
Can I just mention really quick, though, yes. another important event this week, 50th anniversary of Doctor Who. Yeah. Which, oh, Lord, was extraordinary. Yes, it was. Let's I, keep it I, spoiler free. It, no, absolutely. I would never do that to anybody. Um, I had modest expectations going into it. I didn't want to build it too big in my brain because I, I didn't want to be disappointed if it didn't quite go the way it went. And it was amazing. So good. If you haven't seen it, go watch it now. It Yeah. Listen to our podcast first and then go watch it. <laughs> or actually, pause it. We'll wait. Welcome, Welcome back. back. And it was amazing, wasn't it? It was so freaking good. <laughs> Even I watched it and I haven't seen the entire show of Doctor I saw Who. like five seconds of it at a very key moment. I'm like, oh, oh what's going on? And I realized I really should watch, start watching Doctor Who because that was very intriguing. Yes. It's yes, it was. Amazing. But you know what is also intriguing? Native Americans in film. <laughs> <laughs> Smooth. <laughs> Smooth intro. No one's, no one's going to know that was a segue. <laughs> Segway! Yeah! Well, because a very important thing is happening this week. It's Thanksgiving, which for some of you guys, they actually enjoy that holiday. Awesome. Um, and Native Americans were at the first Thanksgiving, so let's talk about that. <laughs> this is our very thin Brian, premise for this Your entrance was good, hers was better. <laughs> Boom, I just Batman forevered you. Ba-boom. Don't you dare Batman forever me. Your interest was good. His was better. Jim uh, Carrey's, though. Yeah, Native Americans. I think for this episode, though, we're not going to call them Native American. I think the proper term we're going to use is indigenous people in film. Because in the Native Amer- in that community, actually, there's, it's, there's a lot of debate over what the right term is. It depends on the tribe. Some tribes are okay with Native Americans. Some tribes prefer American Indians. Some tribes prefer just the tribe name. So I think indigenous is kind of the one that's the the most PC. Yeah. Or even tribal peoples of the Americas. I mean, honestly, that's that's who they are. They that's how they distinguish themselves by language and, and geography. So can we call them the TPAs? Is that is, is it making an acronym not okay? As long as TPA doesn't stand for anything else that's horrible. I have yeah. no then, idea. No, and then going forward for this episode, TPA and, references. Tribal Peoples of of America. America. Exactly. If you need to write that down, we'll give you a second. The TP of it. Second's over. (laughs) And it's also one that I think in the American mass media is underrepresented and also misrepresented, too. So Heavily misrepresented. And so I think that's what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about... And we have our curator here to help us out. Eric. Eric. Oh, thank you. Thank you very <laughs> Indeed. much. We had to bring in the person. He's not only the quiz master, he's also the curator. Okay, so where do we begin? All well, right. I think if we're going to talk about film, we have to we have to go back to like, uh, what's his name? Roy Rogers and all the Cowboy movies. Early John Westerns. White, early oh, Westerns. Yeah, sure. Where they were played all by white guys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and they, they all spoke much, yeah. in broken English saying things like, how white men go this way. Kind of thing. Like and I'm not, and, okay, first off, I'm not trying to make fun. I'm just legitimately You're just quoting just what, they what said. it was, exactly, yeah. Most famously, Tonto. Tonto and uh, the Lone Ranger. Well, Tonto in itself is offensive because in Spanish it means stupid. But also, <laughs> he actually kind of had his come up. It's because he always called the Lone Ranger Kimosabi, right? But Kimosabi means horse's ass. Yeah. So, like, it, 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 I think that just shows, like, it was how inaccurate they were. And for the younger audience, when we say the Lone Ranger, we are not talking about the Gore Verbinski, Arnie, Army Hammer, Johnny Depp movie that came out this last summer. We're, we're talking, talking about the movie serials that, yeah, yes, where Tonto is still played by a white guy. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. also, young, for pe- young people listening, turn off the podcast. Shit Actually, explicit. <laughs> Johnny Depp was admitted into uh, the nation. I, I forgot, was it Iroquois or is it, uh, Nav- it was, 
I can't remember. I, I'm sorry, but um, you know better than me. There was a lot of flack in indigenous communities about that, and he does have some lineage to it. And just to end it all, one of the chiefs in that nation just kind of welcomed him in and said, "Okay, I declare you're one of us now. Let's all shut up about it." <laughs> so that is what it is. But you're right. It, the point is, it was still non. Yeah, he's still a white guy. Yeah, <laughs> and still a misrepresentation of of the culture. Yeah, so. though Depp did try to get the clothing and everything. Uh, all the other more character mannerisms correct for that tribe. Right. Well, and, and beyond that, too, aside from just being played by white guys or whatever, a lot of times these people are being portrayed as savages, as antagonists, as lesser thans. Or primitive as well. Yeah. Yeah. And no, nothing could be further than the truth. The opposite side of that coin is is they were either uh, portrayed as these bloodthirsty savages or they were like these blindly heroic and honorable people, which I think is just uh, like, why can't they just be like us and normal people with real problems and real struggles? Yeah, you know, and that's interesting because um, that, that same idea, that same dynamic is, is actually being had for... Um, you know, women being portrayed in, in movies when we talk about the strong female character and having that kind of put up on the pedestal. It's kind of, it's it's a very similar issue. That's that's very interesting that it seems like for a lot of different marginalized communities, they kind of go about the same thing. Um, so, like, trying to trying to rectify it, you end up going way overboard, and it's like, you're, you're still not quite getting it. <laughs> See how great they are, guys? Right. They're wonderful. I mean, the yeah, argument Just is... ignore these five movies that will totally degrade them. <laughs> yeah. um, the argument is, if you're going to do it talk about equality you just you tell the stories like you would tell any other story you don't right have to, right yeah which kind of correlates with like because we recently posted something on the web page about like it was more about actors rather than actual figures that are portrayed but it still kind of correlates where this particular group of people have not really had their day in the sun in hollywood yet they're usually either underplayed as we said or they're over praised as being like these great here but they but they're never really the starring role and even today even with these so-called groundbreaking movies that that move forward right like dances with wolves and what have you that gain all these praise even from from the communities that uh they're partially representing they're, they're still not the primary focus there's still someone else that ties it in of some sort of european ancestry who who makes that connection and makes it somehow viewable to the public. I would agree with that up until smoke signals. All right, so let's let's dial it back a little bit um, and and talk about the evolution of how um, indigenous peoples have been represented in film because that that's kind of the biggest aspect of it, right, Sean? Yes, right. Um, I mean, if you go back, you're looking at let's start with a little bit of portrayals in literature there's a lot of them being either savages or they're being these honorable people that are still misunderstood and misrepresented even from the point of view of somebody who holds them up on a pedestal so then we get into film it's mostly you're seeing them in western movies and they're being portrayed as villains and savages and they speak in the broken english you guys were talking about uh with uh like the lone ranger serials and whatnot and in the 1960s is kind of when western films started to decline therefore the work for native american actors because they had started using native american actors uh intermittently but like any chance of a native american being on film dwindled heavily after the western genre declined in the 60s and then between there and like the 90s in 1990 when dances with wolves uh was a huge thing you don't see a lot of native americans in films but uh sarah 
I know you did some some work and did some research on uh, things that went on in the 70s. Well, I don't know about a whole heck of a lot of research so much as just my own personal um, oh, okay. <laughs> interest in the time period. <laughs> I'm like, I didn't do any research. Um, no, but there was a, there was a major um, American Indian movement at the time. And I say American Indian movement because there was an actual group named the American Indian Movement. AIM for short. And there were people who were uh, doing sit-ins on territories that had belonged to their people um, before, um, who were challenging government rights over their land. It, and it was it was basically a big battle. I think there was a, a time, there, or there was an attempt, at least for a little while, for people to actually go and settle on Alcatraz um, to try and uh, take it back. So that's been, that's been a big push. And I actually think that, that I, it's important to mention what happened between the decline of the Western genre and the decline of uh, indigenous in films. Because of the movement that you're talking about got so much press, it, it became more of a public concern that, oh, I, don't, I think that these peoples are getting fucked over and we need to pay more attention to it. Making way for a movie like Dances with Wolves in 1990 to have such an effect on people and to have people's interest that much. No, I totally agree. Because that yeah. was that that movement was getting a lot of major press. There was, <laughs> there's actually a song. Uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the band, but it was like it was called like Cherokee Nation or something like that. That was actually a major hit on the radio, and it was kind of all about challenging the government and and challenging the way people think about indigenous peoples, and and it was kind of an empowerment song. Uh, I think that uh, particularly in the 1970s and the late 80s, um, there was an author by the name of Tony Hillerman. And Tony Hillerman introduced a whole idea of, of a, uh, a whole series of novels all about uh, Jim Chi, the Jim Chi novels. Are any of you guys familiar with these? They're detective novels, but they're all sent, uh, set on uh, reservations. They're really quite excellent, and they very accurately depict you know, life on a reservation, what it really is like to grow up there and, and, and the way that cultures kind of merged and came together and how there's still this desire and this want to kind of hold on to that cultural identity. And those have translated over into, into movies, maybe not major motion pictures, but they have ended up on PBS. And they're really some excellent, excellent film adaptations of those. Adam Beach, uh, who's a very famous um, indigenous actor, he, he stars as, as Jim Chi. And uh, they've brought him back several times, and he's been in a lot of other films, but he's, he's one of those actors who really embraces the role and tries to break those, those stereotypes that, that have been forced on actors because of the roles that are available, and took something that is really fantastic and just made it his own and really did a great job with it. So it's worth checking out both reading and watching. I'd actually never even heard of it before you mentioned it, so that's opened my eyes a bit. I do agree with you guys. I think had it not been for the movement in the 70s, right, as you guys had mentioned, that the focus of it wouldn't have been um, as prevalent in the early 90s or even the late 80s. But the problem is, right, is that even though there was that movement and even though we've had movies that have had indigenous people as somewhat of the backdrop, there is still yet to be a movie that is really... Well, actually, there has been. Um, there was a movie called Smoke Signals that came out in the late 90s. And this one was pretty pretty remarkable for the time. And, and I don't... I mean, I hate to kind of skip ahead here. But <clears throat> it was written, directed, produced, starring indigenous peoples. And it starts off on a reservation. And it's all about... It, I mean, it's at, at its core, it's story. It's about family values, etc. But in this whole backdrop of, honestly, the struggles that a lot of indigenous peoples do have 
on reservations. There's troubles with alcoholism, with poverty, and that sort of thing. And so it's kind of all about that and also kind of finding your voice within your community and that kind of thing. So it's a a traveling story. Right, and it's told... I mean, it's definitely a story about two cousins. One cousin, his father has recently passed away, and he has to go and claim um, his things because he was named as his... I guess, beneficiary, even though there's not that much for him to claim. And it's very much um, a road movie in, in any other respect. It's, you know, uh, you're traveling to find yourself, really, not to find yeah. what's on the other side of it. And it's actually, I think, it's a great movie, considering that. Well, what I like is it, it deals also with this whole social identity crisis that's going on on these reservations right now. You know, who do I associate more with and and which side do I align with? Do I go mainstream? Like, you know, the, the character Victor, who he's you know basketball up-and-coming star, you know, he, he wants to kind of break out of the reservation and, and go do his thing. And then there's, you know, his, his friend who is very much the opposite. He wants to embrace the culture as much as possible. He wants to embrace the oral tradition. He's kind of the storyteller. He's constantly telling stories throughout the entire thing. And he he likes to make things kind of bigger than life and looks at Victor's father as this hero who saved him from, you know, burning to death in a home and becoming this this whole idea in his mind. And he's constantly telling the story to Victor through this whole trip. And Victor's trying to deal with this whole other idea of who his father really is. And it just all of it just really works. Yeah. I thought it was an excellent film. Yeah, well, and greater truths versus what's important and that kind of thing, yeah. But yeah. my point is, is that when was that movie made? Late 90s. Okay. I would say probably at the most. Uh, 1998. Okay, yes. so it's been a little over 10 years. Yeah, and in that 15, time yeah. frame, we have not had anything else that has had them kind of on the for- on the forefront. Not anything, not anything major mainstream. And that's the thing, though. Smoke Signals itself wasn't even really that mainstream. That's right. It was. That's my, it was that's all independent point, film. Though. Yeah. Yeah, is that? But on, that that's not to say that there hasn't been anything. Okay, well but then there I will stand corrected on that. But what I'm saying though is that on the mainstream focus, everything that is the antithesis of Alan, right? <laughs> there has been no like mainstream movie about them. And right. Any time that they are in a mainstream movie, they're secondary characters and they're underdeveloped secondary characters. Sure. So let's talk about the mainstream movies of the more recent, like past twenty years or so. Yeah, Sean, where do you want to take that from there? So, Dances with Wolves brought Native culture back onto screen in a much better light than had been done before. And then you, you get, like, two years later, you have Last of the Mohicans, which actually shed more light on some Native customs, some more realistic portrayals of Native customs. And then we've moved on to Smoke Signals that you guys just talked about, where it was a movie totally written, directed, and starring on all Indigenous cast. And then from then on, we've had a lot of different movies that have either been good or bad i mean it's tough to tell i know david you watched uh wind talkers didn't you i did yeah and it for being a movie that was entirely about the navajo code and how it was used during world war ii has very little to do with them and more about nicholas's kate nicholas cage journey from god knows where i mean i, I know it's not a critique show but like from my, my my personal opinion not the greatest movie in the world yeah well there were also <laughs> code and it's also a little misleading too, because there were code talkers in World War One. That's right. Yeah, right. Uh, who um, I believe they were also Navajo, or is it? Or no, quite? no. This is a whole other tribe. In fact, there were several different uh, tribes Utah, right? who all contributed. Yeah, there's the Choctaw code talkers of of World War One who, you know, they they quickly realized by listening to a couple of folks who had signed up and were were in the army and hearing them talk back and forth in their in their native language, that they could quickly use this to their advantage, and they started using it to to decipher and break codes and or not break codes, excuse me, but to to 
send messages back and forth across the lines, something that they knew the Germans were listening to, but the Germans had no, no idea, idea what, what to do with this. Not at all. And Which is like, that alone is a fantastic story. Yeah, I would right? actually like and to hear the World War One story of that right. told, the that, thing that started I mean, it all. Exactly. I mean, that would be a great story to have, you know. I mean, don't, I guess what just frustrated me about that movie, besides my personal feelings about it, is that that entire situation is a subplot. Right. And it's all about... It's all about Nick, Nicolas Cage, who's got trying, PTSD. And he's tr- got to, like, work with... He's got to figure out how to, like, work with this Navajo uh, code talker and, like, really, you know, make a connection with another human being. But the Navajo code talker, which, which is fascinating, is that the very first shot of that movie is the Navajo code talker. I forget his, I, I forget his name. Leaving his family to get on the bus to make, to make it over to boot camp. Yeah. Right? Which is fascinating, because that's the very first shot of the movie. So you think, okay, we're going to follow this guy's journey. And then the next thing you see is is Nick Cage in battle. This is where he gets his you know his injury, which causes him to kind of have like the steady decline. And then from that point on, it's all we follow is just him. I, I've got a better idea. You you kill Nick Cage. Yeah. In the very beginning, that's it. His character is gone. Nick Cage is dead. You use Christian Slater's character, who's a far more compelling and interesting character, and have him lead the entire. Yes. Movie. Because the relationship that he had with with, yes. with the person that he was protecting was fantastic the because he actually cared and he was wanting to learn about yeah who these people were yeah. and what their background the, was the scenes where and he's then teaching they fucking him stabbed him yeah they're teaching him how to play the the flute and how to you know and that, the was, harmonica. That, that was yeah. so well done yeah. and that could have been the premise of the movie was their relationship and talking about how important these code talkers really because then that would have been because then you're actually getting some sort of background sean i'm just gonna say if you're gonna do nick cage ptsd story then don't call the fucking movie wind talkers call it nick cage freaks out again <laughs> <laughs> Yay! <laughs> A B C D E F G. Oh, oh and if you've God. never seen that, listeners, Goog Nick Cage freak out, and it's like a ten-minute movie. It's the best thing of your life. Or just it's watch Wind yeah. Talkers and watch him shoot. I don't know. I love oh people with endless supply of bullets. Well, not just that. The fact. Every time he fires a weapon, it's as if he's taking a shit. Can I, can I, <laughs> it's just like he just has like this like it hurts so much, and he's like ah, it's just it's awful. Can I just say to to mention quickly the Nicolas Cage freaking out video? My favorite part is when he quietly walks in the room. It's from uh, the the what's this one where he gets the bees and he gets burned alive? The bee. Wicker oh, man. the Wicker Man. Thank, thank you, the Wicker Man. Uh, I just like how he kind of walks in and just punches a woman, punches the yeah. woman in the face. face. But because it's, it's so, the way it's the video's paced, like you don't see it coming. Right. And like that's his freak out moment. Not the bees! Not, <laughs> Not the, the bees! <laughs> but oh, no, I think Eric, you're, you you were right on the money that it has. That would be a far more compelling story than to to whatever we got was like. And to be fair, right? It's a John Woo movie, so right. little story, heavy on action, Lots stylized of action, yeah, and a lot of Lots of forced amputations, all sorts of right. fun stuff. Which was weird that they showed somebody cutting off their hand, and then they won't show them decapitating Christian Slater. Like, just fucking show his head roll. Like, yeah. that's all I want to see. Well, and and so what about other other movies? Like, let's let's backtrack. We've got Dance with the Wolves. We've got Last of the Mohicans. And these are ones where you're kind of kind of got the white savior situation happening here, which is well not only that, but you have the the white abductee situation going on as well, which is kind of strange. Yeah, right? that's true. Uh, well, although I don't think Last of the Mohicans, if he was was he abducted, uh, his family was killed, and they 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 brought him in. So they I know took it was him a, into the family. I think that that's was adoption. Right. There was abduction, and then there's adoption. Right, but Those back the before there thing, were right? legal adoptions, <laughs> they were essentially the same thing. Uh, <laughs> How are we obtaining children around here? 
There are so many PSAs <laughs> that would disagree with you. Now, nowadays, there's a process. Back then, you just kind of took people. Yeah. But the thing with those two movies, is they do parallel each other very closely, but yeah. um, Last of the Mohicans was a was a novel that was written... James Fenimore Cooper. Yes, much, 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 much earlier. Mm-hmm. So it was almost almost contemporary to the actual events of the book and film. Right, and actually the film Last of the Mohicans has been made a few times. Uh, like seven or eight times, Yeah, and the one that we all have seen with Daniel Day-Lewis kind of hot with the long hair not gonna lie uh <laughs> that film version was actually more adapted from the 1936 film version as opposed to the book which the director had said that the book itself was too eurocentric yeah that they didn't that he didn't want to go off of that oh of course it was so, just so everyone knows daniel day lewis in the last of mohicans is not drinking anyone's milkshake so no, no milkshakes are being no drunk. but there is a high-speed canoe chase and daniel day lewis and like close to the last scene like running like a boss down a trail with two long rifles firing one in each hand it's that was the most like, famous shot in that excuse movie excuse yeah. me Sarah, they it actually call the those muskets thanks oh my no, because they call his name it means long rifle. I think that just means long French. dick. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, God, Sean, he was the original long dunk silver. <laughs> I will say one thing for Last of the Mohicans. Um, it, it actually has a really good score to it. I oh, do, I do enjoy that. Yeah. It has nothing to do with the conversation. And but it's I, half Scottish, though. Did you notice that? Yeah, I did notice that. Yeah, but, but it's also it was also really slow. Yeah. Mm. I don't know if I want to go into that nitty gritty of a deed because that's not the, the focus of what we're talking yeah. about. But as a film, for me, it felt like it was a little too. And I, and I attribute that to the movies at the time because I think like the early movie, the movies of the early '90s that were heavily dramatic, I felt like had a certain rhythm that you had to follow, sure, in order to kind of be accepted. So, and I feel like that movie kind of is part of that mold, sure. And it was running off the coattails of Dances with Wolves, right? right? So, Dances with Wolves was the one that really, again, was kind of bringing that presence back out to audiences. Shanzi. Yeah, and then from then on, we had movies like Squanto in uh, 1994, which is a Disney movie and was horribly inaccurate. You had Geronimo earlier than that, 1993. But even then, so like... uh, Sorry, I keep having to backtrack to this because I think it's something that we need to talk about, but like Last of the Mohicans and um, Dances with Wolves, the white guy is still the focus. Exactly. And that's yep. what's really frustrating about it. At least in yeah. like Squanto, Geronimo, Pocahontas, the main character is Indigenous. the native person, Ugh, right? I, just, I have so many issues with Dances with Wolves. Right. I just I do because it's it's a it's a hodgepodge. It's a mixture of anything and everything that they could take from the mid nineteenth century that was anything related to the indigenous peoples of the Americas and threw it into one movie. And it just it bothers me because of that. Like this this whole idea of his love interest in the film, right? So again, here's that European aspect. Dare we actually have him fall in love with a member of this tribe who was born in the tribe. No, no instead no, it has to be he falls in love with a white chick. Yeah. She is based on an actual historical figure, though, mm-hmm. who is uh, Cynthia Ann Parker, who, yeah. due to circumstances, you know, her parents were killed. The, 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 the tribe that ended up killing them actually took them in, took her in and raised her. And the only life that she ever knew was a life in the tribe. And they loved her and cared for her. And she did well for herself. She was abducted from that, supposedly saved. I'm doing air quotes right now. And forced to kind of re-assimilate back into the culture that she was originally born into, which <laughs> actually killed her. The very process of it alone so right. killed her. Sounds like 
an action thriller mixed with Breakfast at Tiffany's. Well, here's a tragic story. <laughs> no, that, that's, that's, that's so that, But that's a real that's a real yeah. story. Here's no, a tragic story that would be an amazing movie in of its own right. Yeah, showing the brutality and cruelty of the age, and and showing the perception of who these people were and how they were treated. Instead, they take all the, the cushy aspect of it and they turn her into a love interest. And it totally they hollowed, takes they away hollowed, from it. They Hollywoodlized it. And, well, they, and they hollowed her character. Yeah. Oh, of course. And made it a movie about Kevin Costner's isolation and then, you know, finding his way <laughs> in the frontier. Like, that's what that movie was about. Right. And it's Isn't basically a famous shot where he's like on a horse and, and his arms are out, like he's accepting the That's, the yeah. that's in the beginning of yeah. the... Of the movie, and it was him writing in between two. Um, now, charging the Confederate Army, yeah. we'll kill you. Yeah. <laughs> now, devil's advocate here. So the movie is about a guy who accepts that way of life, and he he has a change of heart, and that's I think right. the overall moral of the story. That's what that's what the the message that was trying to be reached to the audience is. So I mean, in a way, there it's not it can't be faulted completely, but right, I no. do agree that making him the savior. And also, the amount of inaccuracy that went into it doesn't do the rest of it justice. And, and I'm not saying that the movie detracts from that general message that it's trying to deliver. I think it does a good job of that, and that's fine, and I accept it for what it is, and I'm, I'm glad that it's maybe opened some people's eyes to a culture that they wouldn't have known otherwise. But what I'm saying is that there are so many more dynamic stories that were inspiring this that could have been a story in their own right that could have been so much better that yeah, they, no question. That they no question. didn't do and still haven't done. Well, to be fair, that story of the white savior coming and helping people is something that Hollywood can seriously bank on, and they have in the last 20 years with uh, Avatar, which Only is a 20 one- years? Or sorry, sorry. This okay. is No, this is something that's been happening since colonial days. Like, it's right. just been... Well, what I'm saying, though, is that in film, I mean, at least... Let's in talk Western about, culture, in this West- is a thing. It's right. just a thing. The white male savior is a thing. See, you totally ruined my point. Sorry. I was going to make a joke. Oh, okay. My bad. Something about, you know, Avatar being a shot for shot of Dances with Pope, but now you fucked it up. Uh, thank you. I was also going to throw Last Samurai in there to help, you know, bring it back to Brian's joke, but there you go. Ooh, that was a terrible movie. Really? I liked it. You did? I like Ken Watanabe. I like Ken Watanabe. Yeah, he's, he's, yeah, he's a good actor, yeah, but... But Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's like, yeah, Dave... Please leave. <laughs> <laughs> Get out. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, and it's just, it just goes to show that there's something about that story that does get retold over and over again as convoluted and as flawed as it is it may actually work better in avatar than it does in in the its natural setting yeah, because at least the native people are fake. <laughs> yeah, but that's also, you know, that is hit a button. I it just that no, sounds it, like it, it could come out it could be interpreted wrong. That's all. That's what I meant. What I meant was that the native people that he's trying to save are, are completely fictitious. Yes. Right? Now I'm not... Hold on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's back this train up. I am in no way... <laughs> I, David McGuire, <laughs> am in no way signifying that tribes of, of early America are fake. <laughs> I respect all. I am clearly only referencing the movie known as Avatar... Written and directed by James Cameron. How do you feel out on that limb all by yourself? (laughs) (laughs) Sean, save me, please. Sean, please. I got nothing. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, you're fucked. Um, Okay, and then so two years later, Last of the Mohicans, and another uh, situation where it's the white guy who saves the day. 
and he's saving. But he's a white guy with all the appearances of. Yeah, because he's inducted into the tribe, but still. No, you, I agree. It's, you have two other people who are with him. These two other actual Mohicans. <laughs> who could Isn't be the doing... last line of the movie? Daniel Day Lewis saying, "I am the last." No, of the it's Mohicans. the guy saying, "You are the now the last of the Mohicans," even though you're still standing there. You're actually the last <laughs> of the Mohicans because you're the full blood Mohican guy. If this was a how I it should have ended. It would have been like it would have like no, it's not true. No, there's actually, one over there and one over no, there. No, I, and no, no, like the, four miles up the road. There's like there's like <laughs> six hundred of them. Well, no, because the idea was that all the they were all killed. They were all wiped out earlier on in the movie and it really was the two other Mohican guys and Daniel Day-Lewis left. Although I'm pretty sure there were actual mo- a few other Mohicans maybe, who, who survived. Maybe. As there, far there as, must have been As far more. that they were aware of though. Like okay. a whole like clan they didn't comes have, out from behind like, the trees and they're like hey we're actually we're here. They couldn't like go find like a Mohican meetup on, <laughs> online <laughs> to go find each other. <laughs> like that didn't work then. Can you yelp it please? We need to find another place. <laughs> That's awful. Yeah, sorry. Hi, <laughs> David McGuire. <laughs> Not that we here at Nerdonomy are in any way trivializing the the horrible events. No, we're not. We're not trying to trivialize that. We're trying to trivialize these movies. Yes, yeah, <laughs> and they're um, horribly inaccurate depictions. Let, let's skip ahead then a few more years and go to something that I think we've all seen, which is the Disney version of Pocahontas. Did not like it. Can you right. paint with all the colors? This is the we've first. Already, we've already been there. Yeah, Brian this, hates the music. Yeah, <laughs> this is the first Disney movie where I was just like disappointed, and I was ten when I saw this. Yeah, movie. I was know, nine when I saw this movie. I wasn't really a huge fan of this one either. The I wouldn't say I hate really it. Really, is subpar, and the voice performances are blood out of my eardrums. That's how bad this was. <laughs> I just think it's ironic that it's made by Mel Gibson. <laughs> Wait, that that Mel Gibson was the it, voice. He's not made. It's not made by him at all. Oh, I thought he was Racist driving force behind the getting movie created. Yes, exactly. That's my point. Whether or not he's just starring it or not, it's, maybe it was it's after that movie ironic. he snapped. No, I'm pretty sure he was crazy before that. Well, he kind of like it became publicly crazy like a few years after that. But yeah, I remember that being the like the one Disney movie, and I. It's hard for me to not like a Disney movie. I find yeah. something about it that always make, gives me a chuckle. I cannot find a one fucking thing about that movie. You want to know why? Because that fucking raccoon did not talk. Had that <laughs> raccoon talked, shit would have been great. <laughs> Motherfucking raccoon didn't I was going to say, David, I was like, I David, like the David, raccoon, but then all the, Okay, fair enough, he should have talked. Shut, hold on, hold they on. were going what for was that? realism. They were going for realism <laughs> and... An actual portrayal of native culture and raccoons didn't talk that's pretty you're like talking down to native americans it's like you don't even care <laughs> what well, to be to be fair they were they were kind of going uh sleeping beauty slash cinderella with it where the david does not look pleased but i don't care in sleeping beauty the animals didn't really talk they communicated with the, with the characters but they didn't really say anything whereas the trees absolutely of course they do because yeah. all trees you know well, take on was, the form of my grandmother and talk that to was them. a spirit tree it was very specific okay and um she does know that every rock and tree and creature has a life has a spirit and has a name can we just talk about for a second how the the story of pocahontas as far as disney is concerned desecrates the memory of <laughs> the actual pocahontas yes let's just talk about that yeah. first she ended up wearing not john smith but another no. guy she, goes to, england. she goes to england marries a guy named john and then dies six months later with like smallpox 
Like, yeah. honey, here's yeah. a new life for you. Oh, by the way, here's your casket. Actually, the worst part was it was on her return trip <laughs> back home. Seriously, she was she was fine when she was in England. The second she got on the boat to go back home is when she got sick and died. How awful is that? I mean, let's just let's just quickly summarize this poor woman's life. I mean, it, it, she she starts out probably ten, maybe eleven years old when John Smith actually does arrive and and and, and, and point to the movie. Didn't they make her like eighteen? Of course, because movie? they're going to have a relationship with each other. They're not, you know, it, it, that Disney's would be wrong. not sick. Yeah, <laughs> a little twisted, but not sick. Exactly. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> yeah, not like no, real life no where she was younger. fourteen and probably forced into a relationship with the white guy. It, it, exactly. That's what it all really amounts to is the fact that she was this curious child who was visiting these this new group of people who were who had recently landed who were having both positive and negative interactions with the the people nearby her father uh was in charge of a, a series of tribes that were all in this kind of loose alliance and the powhatan tribe if i'm not mistaken exactly and what you have now is the situation where where smith is talking about this years later about his actual interactions and what was going on the first recorded instance of him meeting up with these folks in their area actually has nothing to do with him almost being killed. It has to do with him having dinner. Uh, he was invited to a feast and he sat but down. But dinner's and ate with not him. exciting. It's not exciting. Him falling off of a waterfall and nearly dying. Now that's exciting. Well, the actual John Smith knew that, and he used to write about his tales and would exaggerate them. In fact, there's a whole theory that this whole idea that she laid down to to prevent his you know skull from getting smashed in was actually a rehashed story that he had told back in 1602 when he had visited Turkey. And he told the same exact story about how a young girl saved his life in the exact same circumstances. And then years later, when he's actually more or less trying to get Pocahontas to, to be brought back to England. Then he comes up with a story that makes her seem like this this great and amazing person. When in reality, she was just a kid. She was probably sitting at the same dinner table he was. I'm sorry, just, and I, and I mean no disrespect, but just the thought in my mind is just so gross. Just like some 45-year-old man sitting down at a table, and he's like, hey, your daughter looks great. I would love <laughs> to just take her out for dinner, take her for a walk through a stroll through the forest, and potentially marry her. Well, he doesn't, thank God. No. But somebody else does, and she's just nearly Who's probably young. 50, so yeah, much <laughs> younger. Yeah. Uh, eventually, she ends up becoming a bargaining chip between these two people in, in, in that first God, Anglo-Indian that's, that's war that so goes awful. on. And, <laughs> whoa, you know, whoa, 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 don't attack us. I'll give you my daughter's tribute. Yeah, the she very was, first Hunger Games. She was kept on hostage. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Wow. That was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> she, she was kept hostage on, on a boat for over a year, eventually took the name Rebecca, became a Christian, did all these things to more or less probably just keep herself alive more than anything, and was eventually eventually married off, not to John Smith, but uh, to John Rolfe, another John. Uh, well, then why did she go back? Rolfe brought her back to England. So they no, sent her... No, but you said she went back home. Right, right. Well, let me let me explain. Before she went back home, she went to England. Right. So yeah, here she, she lived. Is. She lived a life in England. Yeah. She lived a life for about a year there. Okay. Uh, and they decided to make a return visit because John Rolfe was a was a businessman. He had created a whole new um, type of tobacco that he was growing there, and he was going back to check in on his investment. He wanted to become one of those founding Virginians and and you know live his life in the Americas. But he brought her to show Which, her around England. To be fair, the secondary the second Pocahontas movie did touch in her life in England. And I hate that movie so much for that reason because yes, it's just, but. It, Though the movie is kind of haphazardly edited to a point where James Horner, who did the soundtrack, half of his soundtrack had to be tossed out because Terrence Malick kept doing edits and then the music didn't match up and he couldn't keep fucking cutting it. 
despite the fact that it's not a very great movie, uh, the process of putting together the uh, Powhatan language, which is actually a, a version of Algonquin, Virginia Algonquin, the director enlisted the help of this guy, uh, Blair Rudes, or Rudes, I don't know how to pronounce it, but let's say Blair Rudes, from uh, the University of North Carolina to help piece together the language of these people from a vocabulary of 500 words that uh, a secretary in old colonial days had put together and the 50 words that John Smith had in his records. And with just that, this dude put together a language with piecing together some other parts of three other languages of Algonquin from the family of Algonquin languages. They did their best to put together and revitalize this extinct language that hadn't been spoken since like the late 18th, early 19th century. And when they were done with the movie... They actually turned over all of their research to that tribe, uh, the people that were still there in Virginia, and said, here, please try putting together your language again. And I thought that that was really cool, that though the movie is a kind of a piece of shit, they actually did something positive for indigenous peoples rather than just, you know, co-op their culture. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, there's also the sequel that, uh, that they were talking about from Disney that was the straight-to-video sequel about Pocahontas going back to England. Well, and I think what Sean was referring yeah. to was uh, Brave New World, which was... No, it's not Brave New World. That's we're talking about. Sorry. No, no, it's okay. No, no, no. no that, that's a perfect segue because it's true, right? Because there's like three major... Well, not counting the direct-to-DVD... Disney. There are Pocahontas. two and a half major <laughs> films. <laughs> two and a half major movies regarding Pocahontas. Uh, Brave New World, that was what? Uh, Stop saying Brave not, New World. I'm sorry. New World. Brave New World is a book by Aldous Huxley. <laughs> the new Aldous then- Huxley. <laughs> that was Sam. Um, the New World, that was with Colin Farrell, but that was like, it was like a gritty version of the movie too, right? Like a gritty version of the tale. and Slightly, yeah. But the, the whole point is it's the movie of the tale. It's not the movie of the person. Right. The actual person who I think is has a far more interesting, if not tragic, life. Why not tell that? I get you want to tell something for the kiddies, and you want to get kids interested for the, that Pocahontas movie, and then you want to do something for the adults that rides on the coattails of that? Okay. Yeah. Whatever. You're going to donate some, some, some pretty significant research that you've done, which I think is fantastic. That's great. But to me, it just seems a little too little too late. Why not do the story justice for once? And is Pocahontas considered of that pantheon of Disney princesses? Because I don't remember seeing her ever since that movie. She wasn't a princess. She is, but she is part of the Disney princess line. Really? Yes. Okay, because I don't see her shown that much anymore, and it was like, wow. I've been to Frontierland many a time in my day. I've not once seen her walking They haven't put Pocahontas much in the park, but if you go to Disney Store... She is really? part of the Disney line, yes. Okay. The Disney princess line. Yeah, even though she wasn't a princess. She wasn't all the she little She was the daughter of the chief in the movie, so therefore she's well, kind of like a princess. Technically speaking, Tiana wasn't really a princess either, but then... She married a prince, so therefore she becomes a princess. Let's just, let's just be frank here, okay? They put them on the line because they wanted to be multicultural. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Mulan, I Mulan was not a princess. Yeah. Mulan is in the Disney princess line. Sean. And it took until, like, what, three years ago for them to get a black princess in there with the princess and the frog? That was, like, the first actual black a princess. fucking men. But yeah. we have to praise them for at least trying now. Yeah. <laughs> it's taken a wow. while, but at least they're trying. They'll make a shitty park, but they won't have a black princess first. Hmm. So you <laughs> went to California Adventure and you enjoyed yourself, so shut the hell up. What is it with Thanksgiving if we don't bring up some old family drama? <laughs> My God. My God. Well, you know what, folks? 
this Thanksgiving, if you want to uh, take in a movie that involves indigenous peoples, really take a look at it from another perspective. Look at it, what's really going on there. Try to really look at the facts behind it. Try to look at... Sociopolitical context. Thank you. You know, because I think every group deserves to have their stories told in the most honest fashion possible. We are just now, in the year 2013, getting one that was that's about the truth about slavery. Right? Yeah. 12 Years a Slave, which is hardcore, no sugarcoating, straight up, this shit went down like so. Yeah. Now, how historically accurate is it to the actual guy's story? I don't know. But they're taking that person's story and turning that into a film. So, I challenge you, Hollywood, to do the same fucking thing. Redo Pocahontas, but tell her fucking story as an actual story. Don't make it about this love story or pseudo love story or whatever you want to do. I mean, just give us an actual story in which they are the focus that's not just independent. Smoke signals not included. Yeah, it would be great to see a mainstream movie that talks about this and deals with it in an honest light and it doesn't have to doesn't make an over effort to say oh hey we're really trying guys we're really trying just just tell a fucking story <laughs> see guys see we we can make a story and also i mean if you notice in television too like there are two tv shows i mean we we just talked about film but like shows like deadwood in which they show you know that the the cherokee uh are horrible horrible people i mean just anywhere any media is kind of my point so I just want to show, uh, throw in one real quick thing, folks. Again, I, I mentioned it earlier in the podcast. If you want to hear it again, uh, it's the Tony Hillerman novels. Go read them. He wrote a lot of them in his life, and they're they're really quite good, very interesting. Uh, and there's been a few film adaptations, which you can find. Mm-hmm. D- the Dark Wind, Skinwalkers, Coyote Waits, A Thief in Time. Those are, those are the ones that they've adapted into film. And they really are quite excellent. Uh, even though, again, some of the actors who are portraying Native Americans are not actually... You know, indigenous people, but um, you, you do have uh, some really phenomenal acting, some really excellent research, and, and something that I think more represents the uh, the the people of America, the tribal people of America, than all these other films. Sean, as Eric mentioned, the book Skinwalkers. If anybody has ever heard of what a skinwalker is, um, I live in Southwest Colorado, and as far as many of my friends are concerned, they are fucking real. Yeah, skinwalkers are like tricksters. Trickster spirits. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Wait. Yeah. Wait, what? They like. Uh, yeah. But look into it. It's. I've had friends say they've seen what looks like a man w- with the bottom half of a deer running beside their car, going forty-five miles an hour, cat keeping up with them. It's kind of like the chupacabra. The desert. Yeah. Wait. This shit's yeah. real. No. Because people think no, that, well, that it's real. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I, Just I, like I'm, people I'm think aliens and ghosts I, 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 and uh, <laughs> Thor's abs Big are real, point. but they're not real. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you worked out really hard to get those abs. All right. And you know what, folks? Um, and but by all means, please hit us up on our social media channels to let us know uh, if where there's a movie that we've overlooked because we always want to know about that, and um, if there's something else that you'd like to share with us about indigenous peoples in film. Um, let's take a second and let's talk about some feedback, shall we? Yeah? Yeah. Yeah? yeah. Cool. Sean, cue it up. Listen to feedback! Yeah! Um, first one we got, actually, a little uh, just a couple days ago from Steve Rosenberg from Motion Picture Meltdown. Uh, it's good to hear from him again. Um, he said, just check out the Slasher episode as well as the Creature Feature episode. Love them both. Got a movie you guys should definitely check out for your obscure Slasher flicks. It's called The Rise of Leslie Vernon. 
You may have heard of it. It's a half mockumentary, half slasher flick where the slasher is taking some college students through the slasher process. How the killer is always seems to be keep up with the running uh, teens. How they c- keep coming back from the dead. It's a great film and uh, set for a prequel. If you haven't seen it already, I recommend it and hope you love it. Also, keep rocking the awesome episodes. Would love to be a guest sometime. Much love. Cool. Thank you, Stephen. As we will actually, I think Dave will talk to you. Steve, I will be in touch. Absolutely. What else we got? I have a piece of feedback here that we forgot to mention last week, but it's kind of fitting that we get to mention it this week. It is from a gentleman named uh, Eric Brackmont, I believe was the name. Oh, I'm sorry. I just inherited Kevin's inability to say names correctly. (laughs) (laughs) Kevin would say, fuck you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, We hope you're enjoying the Chardonnay, Sartorius. (laughs) This is from Eric (laughs) Brackmont. Subject (laughs) line... I can't wait for him to hear this and hate me forever. Okay, subject line, (laughs) Hercules Onion. My dear Nerdonomy colleagues, firstly, the last episode was hilarious. Secondly, has anyone seen my murder onk? It has recently gone missing. Also missing are my crook of association, ornate bronze stabbing dagger, and collection of exotic Egyptian poisons. If you come across any of them, please leave them on my... Please leave them on my usual recording chair. And third and finally, Hercule Poirot is a portly little Belgian, not French. Being the great-grandson of a portly little Belgian, I am deeply offended. Good day to you, sirs. Parentheses and madam. End parentheses. Comma. Good day. Period. P.S. Hercule Poirot translates as Hercules Onion. Oh, I saw what he did there. He tied it all back to because at first the subject I was like, "What's going on here?" <laughs> I, I, I see, I see what you did there. <laughs> I don't know who this Eric Brickmall is, but <laughs> sounds like kind of a, kind of a dick. Yeah, I want him found and killed. <laughs> he too bad we're missing our murder. Sounds onk. kind of. That <laughs> <laughs> sounds too messy. We should probably just use the poisons. Oh wait, those are gone too. No, seriously. I, I took the poisons. <laughs> I've been smoking them. And I gotta say, <laughs> I trust the outstanding. <laughs> um, and then finally, we have one from our good friend Arnell. Uh, this was sent on the 14th of November. And he just wanted to say that uh, great episode in the murder mystery genre, which actually it was baller, just saying as a guy who listened to it. Loved it very much. Um, he said, I haven't really paid attention to it since I've always thought it was cliche, but now I want to check out now. What do you guys suggest? So I'll let you guys stew on that and then answer him after I'm done reading his message here. Uh, also, he says, what did you guys think of Prisoners? I think that would be a pseudo murder mystery. I think he's referring to the TV show that was on during the 60s, and then it got a... Re- re- well, no, the Prisoners is the one that's um, no, with Hugh Jackman and with... Um, <gasps> oh! What's his name? What's the other person who did it? Oh, Liz- uh, you're thinking of... Uh, no, it's... Um, you're thinking of Paul Dano and uh, yeah. Terrence Howard. Yeah, thank you. And Jake Gyllenhaal. It's called Prisoners, isn't it? Yes. There's yes. also a TV show called The Prisoner, which was also kind of like a mindfuck gotcha. thing. Um, and he wanted to, f- to round it up by saying, I'm happy Evan was on the show and it gave a lot of insight into the genre. Again, that's also very true. Evan was a great uh, Absolutely. guest host on that episode. Uh, so I'll just go down the line of those that were in it. Uh, Sean, do you have a murder mystery that you would recommend to our friend Arnaud? The movie Fracture, oh. which I would have never seen unless my girlfriend Katie made me watch it and I thoroughly enjoyed it afterwards and was like you just know how to cut to the heart of me Ryan Gosling, (laughs) Anthony Hopkins 
the murder is not the mystery. The mystery is how the fuck is Ryan Gosling going to beat Anthony Hopkins? And he can't punch him or anything. Um, I would recommend a movie called Deceiver. With uh, It's got a great cast in it. Michael Rooker's in it. Uh, Tim Roth. Uh, before Renee Zellweger was Renee Zellweger. Renee Zellweger. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, Chris Renee Penn. Zellweger, Renee Zellweger. Renee Zellweger. <laughs> Wait, wait. So we're saying oh. pre uh, Cold so Mountain, pre, pre like right before Jerry Maguire. Who was she? <laughs> <laughs> Eric, seriously, come on. Uh, her name was Beatrice um, Buttrixley. She had to change her name <laughs> for movie purposes. Anyway, Deceiver, check it out. Pretty cool. So that's mine, Sarah. I actually, well, I don't really have anything that I would specifically recommend because I think I talked about it on, like, Memento 7. Like, those things are really good. But go back and watch some of the more modern murder mystery thriller movies and go back keeping in mind murder mystery tropes. So re-watch them, keeping the tropes in mind and see if you can spot them, like, make it more of a game. I think that's um, that would actually be my recommendation is re-watch the ones you've already seen at this point and, yeah, pick out the... Pick out the the standards. Good call. It sounds like a fun game to play. I don't really have a movie that I can think of off the top of my head, but um, certainly the PBS series by Masterpiece Theater, um, Agatha Christie's Hercule Poirot, is yeah. uh, is quite excellent, and it's been on for ages and ages and ages. And I would it's also gonna... recommend ch- checking out uh, Miss Marple to piggyback onto you. Yes. Yeah. Those yeah. are quite good. All right, folks, uh, you guys have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Uh, eat lots of pumpkin pie, unless you're intolerant to gourds, and I apologize. Um, but watch football. <laughs> <laughs> Sucks to be you. <laughs> um, and if Actually, you're like Sarah, have, don't have turkey, have yeah. ham or chicken. And um, Gourd intolerance. We will, uh, we will see you next week after you awaken from your food coma. And uh, stay nerdy. And tune into us next week. Same nerd time, same nerd channel, nerdonomy.com. Bye. Bye. Bye, everybody. And roll credits. Now, famous movie quotes you should not say during sex. Many times I felt alone, but until this afternoon, I'd never felt completely alone.